Matt Wiener is Director of Informatics and Predictive Sciences at Bristol-Myers Squibb, recently joining the company through the acquisition of Celgene. He has a PhD in mathematics from the University of Chicago and an undergraduate degree from MIT. Matt, it's uh, great to speak with you. Thank you for your time. Good morning. So you have strong analytical skills and a strong analytical background. Eden is trying to manage and develop a platform for observational data. What precisely is your role with the Eden project? My role in Eden actually has very little to do with my analytical background. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, so I'm involved in the work package that is helping to set up the ecosystem of small and medium enterprises, which will be involved in translating data into the OMOP common data model and also recruiting the data partners and helping them connect with them, those translators, to get data into the federated network. I've also been involved with some of the work around how to make Eden sustainable. That is, once we've created this new ecosystem and hopefully some easier ways to do federated research, and this project ends, right? The funding for this particular project runs out. How does that then continue forward and continue to be useful afterwards? And part of how that's been done, from what I understand, is something called a marketplace. So the partners will live in some sort of virtual ecosystem that you're building in a web space. Is that how it'll exist? Right. So what we're doing is we have a series of calls. Uh, I think we've now done three data partner calls. One is actually ongoing right now. And two SME calls. Again, that's for small and medium enterprises, those translators. And so in each of those, we're looking for first some geographic diversity. Well, not really first. Um, For the SMEs, we're looking at companies that have the proper capabilities or the proper background to then learn more about OMOP and Eden, which we do through the Eden Academy in part. And the data partners, we're looking for places that have good quality data on as many patients as possible. And then we have that additional desire to have some geographic diversity across all of Europe. Now then, we once translators and data partners are selected, yes, the the translators go into what we're calling the SME marketplace, which is really a website that lists them and some of their capabilities. And you can get to that website through the main Eden website at eden.eu. So once data partners are selected, they then get access to that website. They can figure out who they would like to work with, possibly speak with several of the potential translators, and then come to an agreement with one of them. And we don't really, we sort of take an arm's length view of that process. We've selected the data partners, selected the translators, we're putting them together and letting them do their thing. Can you give us an overview of how the SME marketplace will work with regards to calls, selection, training, and certification? So I think there are a couple of phases to this. 
right now, Eden is very heavily involved first in training and certifying those SMEs uh, so that there's some level of confidence that the translation is being done to a certain set of standards. And also then, of course, bringing in the data. Now, then it's the translator SMEs who are doing the work right. of translating those data from the data partners into the common data model. So Eden really isn't involved in that, except in that we give out some grants to help pay for some of that translation. Now, the rest of your question gets to that sustainability question of what's going to happen long-term. And I think in that case, a lot of different models can coexist. Many of these SMEs who are being selected as translators also have broad capabilities in other parts of what you might want to do with data in terms of designing studies and carrying them out and so on. And so that may happen. Sure. There may be some form of Eden that persists beyond the project itself. One possibility for that is some sort of entity that helps run studies. And obviously there will be academics and pharma companies and possibly other kinds of companies that will also be interested in running studies on top of this network. Oh, and certainly also um, regulators like the European Medicines Agency. So for now, in this phase, the SMEs are really handling the translation and Eden is setting up the space for that to happen and bringing the partners and the SMEs together and letting them do that work. What will happen in later phases and in running studies and so forth is still uh, very much under discussion. And I think the answer may be all of the above for almost any given set of the above. So it's a, it's a really smart approach then, because essentially you've got almost an unlimited number of data systems and data queries and languages across the 28 European countries. So the idea is you're then partnering with local SMEs who will then do the work in Polish or in Slovenian or whatever to then get that OMAP mapping done that you can then pull in to the general data set. Is, is that the overall arching premise? Yes, although I would say it's not quite into the overall overarching data set because... Because it's a federated data set, yes. Since this will be a federated model, exactly, right. there will not in the end be an overarching data set, but rather a, a set of data sets that can be called on when the research, you know, when they are appropriate for whatever research is being done. I also think an issue around having that geographic diversity is that OMOP currently is based mostly in English and having the data model translators working in different languages can also help to expedite bringing code systems and other terminologies in local languages into OMOP as well. So that will also help. And that'll be a big boon then to you folks, because that will give you a leg up over other systems, which currently are monolingual. Mm -hmm, that, that may be. So the Academy then is the sort of certification, the good housekeeping seal that you train the SMEs or get them in or 
dare I say, indoctrinate them <laughs> into the world of OMAP and Odyssey. Um, where are you at in that process now with the Academy? The Academy is being built out. Uh, again, you can get to the Academy through Eden.eu. It either is now or I believe will be available to anyone who's interested in learning more about the common data model and the translation process. And basically, once a translator has been selected for training and certification, they start by going through training in the Eden Academy online. And of course, earlier, we were planning to have more of that done face-to-face. Face face. And you know, with COVID, it works out very nicely to be able to do more of it online. And then there's a several-day, lately, I believe it's been two-day again, previously face-to-face, now online meeting with a number of translators at once and a number of people from Eden to go through, work through some example problems to demonstrate that they've, you know, mastered the training in essence. Uh, And also it gives them an opportunity to ask additional questions. And then they're certified, assuming they get through those two days successfully. Uh, which has generally been the case. And once they've then been certified, they're put in the catalog, the uh, the marketplace, so that they can be found by the data partners. So, so far, we've run two calls for certifying SMEs, and we're in the midst of the third data partner call. Uh, there was a special COVID data partner call uh, that became our somewhat unplanned second call. And now we're back, as those are now going through the translation process, uh, we are back to doing a more general call uh, for different kinds of data. So there are 26 SMEs currently listed on the Eden website. Obviously, this has been, it seems to me, quite successful. How has the partnership been on the data level? I mean, how has it been getting data partners to participate and allow the mapping to occur? Have we also had a lot of success in that capacity? Yes, I think we have. Uh, One number I remember off the top of my head is for the COVID data call in particular, I believe we had something like 75 applications and we were able to choose 25 partners across, I'm pretty sure, greater than 10 countries. So it was pretty successful. I believe we chose 20 data partners in the first call, although I wouldn't want to swear to that. Uh, And we're having a good rate of applications that we can see have been begun in the third data partner call, although, again, it's still running. They haven't all hit submit yet. But things do seem to be going well, and and there does seem to be a fair amount of interest in getting data translated into the OMOP model. Obviously, the European Commission is focusing on many data projects, Horizon 2020 and Horizon Europe, and then you have the European Institute of Technology. How does Eden compete or differentiate itself from these other sort of, shall I say, more top-down projects? I'm aware of a lot of projects that are focused on a particular disease, whereas Eden is really trying to build a network of data sources and actually an ecosystem where you have those data sources translated into the common data model as well as 
translators and those same companies and potentially others who know how to do research on data in that common data model. So you could say in some sense, we're trying to build the train tracks and then ideally uh, lots of other people will decide to run their studies on this system. So it's not disease specific, it's not method specific, it's really trying to build out infrastructure that will allow people to do real world data research more easily in the future. Yeah, and obviously the key to this is the OMOP model. Several companies now are adopting OMOP as a research platform. What makes OMOP more flexible or more practical from a observational RWE standpoint than say ICD codes or Cerner or Epic or any of the other options that are out there? Sure. So those are actually different kinds of things. (laughs) So the OMOP common data model is designed for real world data. So you can put the contents of an electronic medical record system like Epic or Cerner, you could translate that into the OMOP data model from whatever internal data model they may use, which I know nothing about. (laughs) Um, And you can also put other kinds of data into the OMOP data model. And what that then allows you to do is use the same code to run studies over all of those different data sets, you know, as long as they have the appropriate numbers for whatever you're trying to do. It means that then instead of trying to gather all the data from different places and do the conversion that you need for your particular study every time a different way, because every study will be different, you can have all that work done once up front And then people can apply uh, the same set of tools for multiple different studies. And one of the things I think is really useful there, and you see getting built up in in the Atlas system and within the Odyssey project and now within Eden also, is standard ways of doing analysis so that instead of having to convince people that your particular code that you would like them to run is reasonable, you can say, look, this is part of this open source project. A lot of people have used it. It has a lot of eyes on it. And that's, you know, that supports that it is good code to use. And now you can send the standardized code to data that's in a standardized format and get standardized results. So in a sense, you're trading this ease of use for whatever you might get out of being able to analyze actually all the data in a single data set that you put together. And of course, the other aspect of that trade-off is when you're using the federated network, instead of bringing it all together, you're now protecting data privacy by design, really, because the data is never leaving the place where it was originally collected. The only thing that leaves each institution or each data partner are these fairly high-level aggregated summaries. So you have a lot of built-in 
data protection. Sure. The pipelines for a lot of the companies you're working in now, particularly Celgene and a lot of the advanced CAR-T therapies, which is a part of your pipeline. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're dealing with indications here that are, that are quite small. If you look at acute lymphoblastic leukemia, we're talking 700 patients a year, quite a targeted population. How can a federated database then help? I would imagine for clinical trial design, that's a huge boon. Mm-hmm. But do you see that as a key use? That's one way. But in essence, anywhere you might want to use these data, whether it's understanding the natural history of, of the disease or its progression under any given treatment, in essence now, you can ask across this federated network, who has patients like this and would you please run our analysis? And so you have access in principle to a much broader patient pool. So if there are only 700 of these patients a year and they're spread across 50 institutions in different places, that can be very difficult. Now there's at least the potential to look at that together. Now, The other aspect is if you're doing it in a federated way and some of these institutions only have a handful of patients, now maybe you can't use those because of the data privacy considerations. And so it's not going to solve everything. Uh, there There will still be problems with very small populations, but again, it may help. Of course, the other aspect of that is for things that aren't so rare, you can now at least potentially assemble an enormous data set for some of these questions, which might help you find rare adverse events, for example, or small subgroups of patients. Yeah. And that's exactly the question I was going to ask about the federated data, because you get into these data sets that, you know, if you only have five or six patients... The fact is you do have to pull in 10, 15 institutions. You can't run statistics on five patients and then get the result. It's just not going to work. That's right. Although uh, there is a lot of research going on around training various kinds of machine learning or statistical models in a federated way as well. Sure. And so in the future, it, it may be possible to do that better, to use even those very small groups of patients. What I've seen so far is mostly around making sure that models are robust to differences in the way data might be collected at different institutions or differences, for example, in the machinery, the the imaging equipment they use. Uh, But I think it will it probably already is, right? I have a limited view of the literature coming to fitting the kind of models you're interested in. One of the other challenges we see in, in Europe, particularly with some of the more advanced therapies that are coming on, they're very good and efficient, but in the long tail. For example, if you look at Savaldi, it wasn't what you were paying today. It was the fact that one in five risk of a liver transplant over 10 years disappears. Mm -hmm. What you see in Europe is you have, say, for bone marrow transplants, which would be the alternative pathway to a gene therapy, you have these bulk payments of 20,000 euros, sort of an all-in price, and then there's no activity-based accounting. Do you see Eden as potentially a tool and Odyssey as potentially a tool where you can get an easier approach to getting these long-term value? creation assessments? Well, I think there 
they can be a partial solution to that issue in exactly the same way that they can be a partial solution to other issues, which is allowing you to more easily bring together a larger amount of data. Sure. It doesn't, you know, ultimately the problem you're describing is probably mostly a political one about how you define value. So these projects can help bring together evidence of what the long-term costs under potentially current standard of care are. But that doesn't that doesn't make the decision for you about how long that window should be, how long should you look, how certain are you of what the total costs of the new treatment might be, and sort of what the trade-off between long-term uh, long-term benefit and short-term costs ought to be. Those are all bigger political decisions. So this can help to create evidence that can inform those decisions, uh, but it's not going to help make the decision. <laughs> but at least it'll help bring evidence to the table to say, look, you know, we're That's not- right. It, it can help you bring more information to bear on those discussions. We've seen that there's an enormous gulf in the sort of analytical side of healthcare compared to the practical medical practice. Do you see that increasingly doctors are going to have to have some level of analytical ability, or do you see every single clinical team having someone such as yourself, a mathematical person from MIT as part of the team? Is this the way things are going to evolve? That's an interesting question. I I don't really know. I would hope doctors would not have to become quants <laughs> uh, any more than quants have to become, become doctors. doctors. Although, <laughs> right, both groups need to know something about how the other works. I think if you're trying to create models to inform medical practice, you're going to need to know something about medical practice. Um, at the very least, how your solution might fit into an actual clinical workflow. But what I would hope is that these sort of data solutions can end up getting used in a way that might be similar to something like imaging where it brings new information to the doctor to consider. So imaging potentially bringing you very detailed information about the single patient in front of you, which then, of course, has to be interpreted in light of the rest of the medical evidence. Whereas some of these data solutions, I would hope, could say, We've gathered the data about a lot of patients in a situation similar to the one that you're describing for, for your patient now. And here are things that seem to have worked better or worse for those patients. And of course, the more data you have, the more you can slice and dice and get to a set of patients who are more similar to your individual patient and look at what the outcomes have been based on different treatments. And that will then be another piece of information that the doctor can use and say, okay, the imaging is showing me this, sort of the broad view from these other kinds of data products is showing me this. And then you synthesize that or the doctor synthesizes that into you know, possible treatment plans 
for this patient that they can then discuss with that patient, you know, to figure out the right trade-offs again for the individual. The US data system is actually pretty straightforward from a, an ownership standpoint. Essentially, if you curate the data, you manage the data, as long as the data is de-identified, basically it's your data to play with, to sell, use, whatever. Obviously, Europe has far different rules with the GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation, etc. How do you think Europe will compare to China and the U.S. going forward about data usage and sort of this competitive landscape? Does this put Europe on the back foot? Does a, a process like OMOP actually help? Well, I think OMOP helps. Uh, as we've discussed, it can make more of those data comparable and make it easier to look at more data sets to at least make sure your results are consistent. I think what you're seeing are different trade-offs, again, being made between data privacy and the results of research. So in principle, if you can bring all the data together for a single analysis, you should be able to do better. Although I think, again, we're still working out which kinds of analysis get a greater advantage from being brought all together and which you can do perfectly well in a federated setting. Sure. I've always actually thought it was interesting that Europe seems to be more vigilant on these privacy issues, since in general in Europe, if somebody finds out about your medical history, they still can't deny you insurance. Yeah. Whereas until very recently in the U.S., with Obamacare, they could. And of course, there are still many people trying to make it so that you can again. So I think it's very interesting that Europe is stricter on privacy right now. I, I would imagine that both the US and Europe will swing back and forth on these things. In essence, if some of these data privacy rules do put Europe at a disadvantage in medical research, I would guess that they would be revised to a certain extent. Uh, and I think you're already starting to see in the U.S. some voices calling for greater privacy protection. So I would really doubt that uh, either country uh, or China, for that matter, uh, where I know very little about the system, uh, has come to a resting place. Sure. Uh, we're in the early stages of all of this. Final question for you, Matt, and it's been extremely pleasurable speaking to you. If you could, what one recommendation would you make to better facilitate the harnessing of health data for better outcomes for patients? I think that I would actually, it, it wouldn't be a technical solution at all, but right now, when you want to do research with data that comes from a variety of places. You have to sit down with each place and negotiate access to the data and exactly what will be done. Everybody has their own ethics review board and, and their own processes overall, right? And that's going to be just as true potentially once there's a federated network as it is when you're actually trying to get all of the data or arrange to do the individual studies at individual institutions without a federated network. Yeah, the political decision never ceases to exist. That's correct. <laughs> That's right. So I think to whatever extent those processes could be made more uniform or sped up in some way, that would be an enormous 
boon to research. And I think, again, the federated network might help in that because if you're able to guarantee certain kinds of data protection by the design of the network and the design of the software that does studies on the network, then potentially you are able to make some of those review processes shorter. But again, those political, the human elements are always much, much more complicated to solve than any of the technical problems. Uh, Certainly the technical problems that Eden is dealing with. I mean, there's real work that needs to be done, but it's happening and you can see things improving with it. But again, those political aspects, uh, there's, there's no guaranteed progress, but that's where I would really focus to improve things. Often the political power of the academic is driven by access to this data. It's often their power base. Working around that's going to be a challenge. I, I think data sharing is a big issue both in Europe and the U.S. and, and probably worldwide. Again, there, there are a lot of issues around sharing data in any context, not only electronic health records, but very many kinds of data. And again, we can hope that medicine will, will move more into sort of the physics realm where, as far as I understand, it's much more common to have large projects to gather a lot of data and then share it quite broadly. Matthew, it's been a true pleasure. It's a shame we won't be seeing each other at the Eden Roadshow, but uh, I really do appreciate your time and thank you for the conversation. Thank you. It was fun. 